Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Unbashful. This is episode 33. Um, and as you can see, I'm yet again in a new space. Uh, last week's podcast was kind of a mess, if I'm being entirely honest with you, because the area that I normally shoot in, that was undergoing construction. So I thought that I thought I'd be okay to shoot in my basement. Then everything seemed fine. And then afterwards, I realized that the mic was actually picking up the sound from my aquarium, which was behind me. I, I cropped the the podcast so you couldn't see it, but there was, a, there was an aquarium up behind me and it was picking up the water stream from it. Uh, now, you know, I didn't get any complaints about that, um, but it, it was still pretty noticeable. And, and even in post-production, I tried to see if I can kind of tinker it and uh, sort of isolate it outside of the audio. Because what I, what I tried to do is I tried to kind of um, turn down, I, I can't even remember what it's called here, but I, I tried to adjust the mic so only anything within close proximity like of the mic itself would be picked up in uh, in, in the audio. And um, unfortunately, it ended, up, it ended up picking up that sort of water stream sound, but I didn't realize really towards the end. So at that point, I shot an entire podcast and I was, I just, I wasn't going to like, the thing about a podcast is it's not like film and television where you can like, this isn't an act. You're not watching me like read a script. I'm, I'll show you what I'm looking at right now. I am looking at audacity, which was, I don't know if the camera's going to pick that up or not, but this is uh this is the platform I use to uh, record my audio. So that's what I'm looking at right now. So I'm not reading off of a script. This is very much just kind of off the cuff. So to do an entire podcast and to realize afterwards that there was some kind of mistake uh, in the audio. Now, sure, if it's like something uh, unlistenable or unwatchable, I'll scrap it. I've done that before, in fact. There's, there was a time where I did an entire podcast and just something about it was just off. I scrapped the whole thing and I basically found new topics to talk about because the thing is, it's like when you're doing these, when you talk about these topics and I always kind of like write them out on notes to kind of figure out where my head's going to be at. And when you talk about them once, you're giving your honest thoughts. And then if you try and do it all over again, it's going to come across like you're just like being lethargic. You're like fatigued. You're kind of feel like you're, you're, you're sort of going over the same points over and over again. So I didn't want to do that. So I, I, like I said, I try my best in post to kind of minimize that sound and I did it as best as I could. But besides that, uh, a good friend of mine let me use some space at his house. He let me kind of use this lovely table for the podcast. So thanks to you, you know who you are. Well, you're upstairs right now. You could probably hear me. Um, thank you to him for letting me do that. It's nice and quiet. The echo isn't too bad. One day, hopefully, um, when this podcast is, is successful enough, I can actually uh, afford to get myself my own studio. But that is that's quite a ways from now. Uh, don't want to look too far ahead. But you know, hopefully some somewhere down the line, we can get there and then I won't have to worry about background noise and whatnot kind of interfering in the audio. Sorry, I just took a sip of my ginger ale. Very good. Um, but let's begin today's episode. Kind of wanted to provide that little context for you guys to wonder like, oh, why are you why are you in two different spaces? Actually, one more thing about that. Towards the end of that episode, then I went to another part of my house because there was just people in my house walking around back and forth in that space while I was trying to record. And it was just too distracting. So then I went to another space and then that space had 
even more echo. So it was just, it was chaotic. Um, so I'm glad. Once again, thank you to my friend for letting me use this lovely dining room area. But let's talk some movies because that's primarily what we talk about here on this on this channel, excuse me, and on this podcast. Let's begin with my review for The Black Phone. So I saw The Black Phone about a week ago and I gave my edit theater reaction and I basically described the film to feel lukewarm to me. It was decent at best. Uh, at times it felt kind of underwhelming. Um, but you know, there's some pros and cons about the film and I'm going to sort of get into that right now. Uh, the thing I liked about the film itself was the plot. The plot was pretty entertaining and I did appreciate the ending. There was sort of like that little twist. Now, before I continue, I do want to warn you guys that there will be spoilers moving forward. Um, so we find out at the end of the film that the grabber played by Ethan Hawke, he has a brother who's of course the police officer from the sinister films, which is nice to see him get his little return. Uh, not the same character, of course, but I mean, I'm sure him and Scott Derrickson have a, have a good working relationship. And Scott probably went up to him and said, Hey, I got a fun little role for you in my uh, new film. You know, want do you want to come on? And I'm sure he probably, uh, took, took up that opportunity with open arms, but we find out that that character is the brother of the grabber and their houses are adjacent to each other. They're, like he literally lives right across the street from his brother. Well, sorry, let me rephrase him and his brother live in the same house, but he doesn't realize that the house across the street is where his brother is, um, has these kids that he's kept hostage and killed many of them. In fact, so I, I kind of like that twist towards the end where you find out that they've been investigating this house being the brother's house. And then you really don't even realize that right across the street is where the grabber is hiding this little boy, the boy that we're, we, that we follow throughout the film. And, you know, subsequently all the other kids that he, he had in the past and, uh, and murdered, unfortunately. So that was a pretty nice twist. Um, I was talking about the film with a friend of mine and it kind of really made me think and there's sort of a plot hole if you think about it and it has to do with the little sister. So the little sister has these sort of like abilities where she can in her dreams, not, not even in her dreams, she could do it when she's awake, but when she, she can like close her eyes, she interacts with this dollhouse and almost, almost performs like a prey. She can sort of like she's like a mutant almost. She can like see things that aren't around her. Um, and that isn't fully fleshed out. Now they, they, they try and, and explain that she inherited that from her mother, but the way that is explained, like for example, the, we, we see the father explain how, you know, their mom took her own life because she had voices in her head telling her to do it. They were pretty much alluding to the fact that the mother was like a paranoid schizophrenic, right? So that makes sense, but they tried to almost use that and explain and use that as kind of like the justification as to why the, why the sister has this ability. So she's inherited it from her mother, but instead of it being sort of harmful to her, it's, it's more of like a superpower. I would have liked to see them kind of build upon that a little bit more. It's a good concept, but I feel like they didn't provide enough context for that. Um, now the thing about when you're telling a story is like the audience doesn't always need answers, right? Sometimes it's good to leave things up for interpretation, but that part of the film specifically, that was a very important part of the story of the narrative. So I would have liked to see that fleshed out a little bit more good concept, 
but I, I, I feel like we needed a little bit more development on that. And then I mentioned the father. The father is another character that I couldn't fully wrap my head around. He's abusive. We literally see him. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's abusive. He's an alcoholic. We literally see he's beating up. Uh, I can't remember the, the main character, the, the boy that we followed, but he's beating up his sister. And then by the end of the film, they almost try and make him out to be a likable character. And it's like, as an audience member, how are you going to make me like this guy where half an hour ago, I literally saw him beating the shit out of a kid. You know what I mean? And clearly you can tell that he's dealing with some trauma that obviously has to do with his wife passing away. But nonetheless, I mean, they didn't really make him a very likable character when you see him abusing his children. Uh, so that was a part of the film that didn't really kind of jive for me. And, uh, so those are sort of my negatives, my two negatives, that plot hole with the, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if plot hole is the right word because I, I understood what they were trying to do. I just would have liked to see a little bit more context provided for the sister's kind of abilities. Cause it was, it was really sort of unexplained for the most part, um, other than, of course, as I mentioned, with the stuff with with the with her mother and, and things of that nature. But other than that, I mean, the plot, I enjoyed the plot. As I mentioned, I liked the twist at the end of the film. I think Ethan Hawke's performance was quite good as well. Now, the thing with low-budget horror is that I don't go into these films expecting some kind of spectacle from a, from a visual effects standpoint. Um often these films will depend on practical effects. And I thought they did a fine job with the practical effects. And, and like I said, overall, my thoughts haven't entirely changed other than what I just discussed earlier, how I didn't really realize till afterwards how that plot hole kind of made me, you know, think about the film. Other than that, my thoughts are pretty much the same. I think the film was decent um, at times. It did kind of feel underwhelming. I, I am, uh, I'm not going to lie because I went in with pretty high expectations. The director of this film is Scott Derrickson, and this guy has built a career in the horror genre in and of itself. Now, we've seen him branch off into other things, like superhero films, for example. He, of course, directed the first Doctor Strange. Um, and, you know, speaking of the first Doctor Strange, I wouldn't say it's as good as Multiverse of Madness, but it's a well... Uh, I, I think it's a well-directed... Um, film uh you know I, I think there's some certain areas of that film that lack particularly with the antagonist i think uh carcilius carcilius played by mads mickelson i think was a pretty uh one note character um not to get sidetracked but he's he's a very talented director but specifically with genre filmmaking in the horror genre this is really his niche uh and of course i love the sinister films um i think the first one's better than the second but even the second one is a pleasant surprise as well so I was expecting a lot going into this film. And did it live up to that? No. Uh, is it top five film of the year? No. Overall, is it a solid film? Yes, I do believe it's a solid film. Is it worth a trip to the theater? Yes, I believe it's worth a trip to the theater. Um, and if you guys have seen the film, let me know what you think. Uh, did you love it? I seem to be the only person that's kind of in this sort of mixed gray area. Because most reviews I've seen, people are saying they love it. And if you love it, that's great. I, I hope people love it. But for me, I feel overall kind of mixed on it. But let me know how you feel about the film in the comments below. So today I just saw Thor Love and Thunder and the internet where I'm at is down. So depending on what time that decides to get up, you might either be seeing the podcast come out before my editor reaction for Thor or you might see, hopefully you'll see, because I'd rather have the other theater reaction come out prior to the podcast coming out. So you might see one or the other come out before each other. But anyways, this is going to be my review for the film. So I've 
the film, I it's still pretty fresh in my mind. I saw it up about six hours ago. And I've written down some notes. Make sure I got everything organized here. Yeah, so I've written down some notes to kind of organize my thoughts. And um, let's start with the positives. I really enjoyed this film. I think it's probably the second best film of Phase 4 so far, uh, just behind Spider-Man No Way Home. The thing about Spider-Man No Way Home is, sometimes I forget that it is even a part of Phase 4, right? Um, it feels very much like this spectacle, almost like almost like the same feeling I get from watching an Avengers film, because it's very much an ensemble. You have obviously the three Spider-Man, which is I think it's at this point it's okay to talk about that now. It's been it's almost been half a year. You have the three Spider-Man. You have the returning villains from the previous films, and you have other characters, supporting characters along. So to me, that film doesn't even feel. I know it is a part of Phase Four, but sometimes I have to remind myself that it is or. Um, that it is because sometimes I forget so aside from No Way Home because I don't know if there's going to be another film in phase four you know maybe Fantastic Four depending on that how that turns out or maybe even Blade it's possible but until until that day comes I don't know if there's going to be a film that's going to kind of dethrone Spider-Man No Way Home in my opinion as the best film out of the entirety of phase four however besides Spider-Man No Way, no Way Home there has still been quite a few great films in this phase. Shang-Chi, uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, um, and, and even some of the other projects, the smaller projects like Loki, for example. I really like that Disney Plus show. So there has still been some good quality MCU content in this phase. And I think that this film is the second best film out of phase four. Now let's get into the list of the positives. First and foremost, Chris Hemsworth. Once again, no complaints as him, as Gore, or Gore, as uh, Thor. This is his role. I I cannot see another, like, I, I always, you know, I mentioned in the past with John Krasinski, like, there are other actors that exist that can play this character. And in reality, I'm sure there are other actors that could play Thor. It's not impossible, but at this point, he he's, he's... He's become so much of this character and he's played it for so many years. I think it's just, it'd be hard for him to see myself kind of look at any other actor and make that distinction. So I, I think he does a fantastic job. I mean, I, I, I expected him to do a great job at this point. So no complaints with Chris Hemsworth. Uh, next, Russell Crowe. He played Zeus. That is not a spoiler because he's very much in the marketing materials and the trailers. Uh, his character was hilarious. Uh, I'm not going to get, by the way, no spoilers in this review, but he was hilarious. He had a, a couple funny one-liners in the post-credit scene with him. Uh, he's in, he's in the post-credit scene, but that's not a spoiler because he's in the film to begin with. Uh, there's other things that happened in that post-credit scene that I will not talk about, but his character was funny. That he There was a couple times where he kept saying in the film, the Thor, like, he was threatening, like, if, if you keep this up, Thor, like, you're not going to be in the in the, in the the orgy, or you're disqualified from the orgy. That was, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so he was a highlight of the film. Uh, up next, Taika Waititi. Uh, Taika, more specifically, his direction of the film. Now, this seems to be the part that's really kind of splitting fans apart. Uh, people are saying that he leaned too much into the comedy, into the humor, and the film almost feels like a satire rather than an actual superhero film. And then some people like me, I'm on the other side of the fence where I feel like they built upon the things that worked in Ragnarok 
and they went even farther with that. And for me, that is not an issue. I very much like Taika's direction. I like the writing of this film. Uh, so all of that worked for me. Taika's direction work, his his uh, his choice of you know uh, color choices from the vibrant colors that he uses. Everything is very exaggerated. If you compare the way visually his films look compared to what is that? I think that's my friend's cat's like water bowl. Anyways, but if you compare to the visual style of Taika's sort of format with Ragnarok and now Love and Thunder, and you compare that to Kenneth Branagh's Thor, and I can't even remember who directed, uh, uh, I, I can't even remember who directed the second Thor. Uh, it might have been Kenneth Branagh, might have been somebody else, but those films were very kind of bleak, very dark, gray, you know, sort of darker colors. Uh, but this film, once again, it's very vibrant. It has a lot of the similarities from an artistic standpoint to Ragnarok. And I very much had no issue with that. And I think that actually kind of worked in the film's favor. Um, this next up, this film digs very, very deep into the cosmic and comic mythology of the MCU. There are some characters that are mentioned in this film. Uh, well, characters, I don't know if you call them characters or more beings in this film. Uh, once again, I will not say what, but there are some very, they're going deep with, they're, they're definitely digging deep into the mythology of the comics. And we're seeing that very, very much in this film. So that to me, I like that stuff. I like the sort of cosmic aspects of the MCU and they very much lean into that. Uh, next was the chemistry between Thor and Jane Foster. Now in the first two Thor films, Thor, the dark world, and of course the first Thor, I felt Jane Foster, the character, was just there to be the love interest of Thor and pretty much nothing more. And the, 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 the shitty thing about that was because Natalie Portman is such, a, such an astounding actress. She's an, she's an Academy Award winning actress and, and a multiple, I think she's been, mul she's been, I'm fucking stuttering. She's been nominated multiple times for Academy Award. And I believe that she's actually won an Academy Award. I think it was either for, uh, I think it was for the Black Swan, but I could be wrong. So she's a fantastic actress. And I feel like they weren't really playing into her strengths in the first two films. She kind of just felt like she was just there to just be the damsel in distress for Thor to kind of save. Uh, so they definitely gave her more of a purpose and they actually gave her character more strength, literally, because she's the actual mighty Thor. And uh, this is not a spoiler. They, they, they very much take inspiration from the mighty Thor storyline in the comics of, you know, she has cancer in this film. And because uh, it's sort of like a blessing and a curse because she becomes mighty Thor and Mjolnir kind of like adopts her as the next person that's worthy for the, you know, for the mantle for, you know, Mjolnir, but it's also a blessing and a curse because it's actually hurting her every time she uses the hammer. So, um, there's definitely a lot of emotional beats in this film. And I think the chemistry, like I actually believe while watching this film, that Oh, like they have love for each other. They have a history with each other. Um, rather than just like, they are just, cause I didn't really get that chemistry in the first two films. And I definitely see it a lot more, uh, in this film and they definitely kind of make Natalie Portman a standout character in this film. So I had no problems with her as Mighty Thor. I had no problems with her chemistry with uh, Chris Hemsworth. I thought it all worked out well. The last positive is Christian Bale's Gore. Gore the God Butcher. Definitely one of the better villains we've seen in uh, the last five years of the MCU. Obviously besides, you know, Thanos, of course. Him, I think he's the I think he's the greatest villain we've seen in the MCU. And I think I think most people can will, will probably agree with that. 
He was fantastic uh, as Gore. He was he was creepy as fuck sometimes. Uh, I love the 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 sort of visual aspect of how he looked. He we, we see him in the beginning of the film and he doesn't have many scars. First of all, the opening scene of this film is actually one of my favorite scenes in the entire film. The film opens up to Gore the God Butcher, but I'm not going to explain what happens in that scene. But that was one of my favorite scenes of the entire film was the opening scene. And it sets up his motivation to wanting to butcher gods. So I thought it was great. Uh, you know, Chris or Christian Bale is... Out of all the actors and all the other cast members in this film, I think you can make a case. I mean, I believe personally that Christian Bale is the best actor actor in this film. If you just you know look at his work elsewhere, uh, and you're not really gonna outact Christian Bale, so I think he steals almost every scene that he's in, and he was fantastic. So that's gonna wrap up my positives. There's quite a lot, and there's not many negatives. Let's just get right into it. Uh, the film felt way too short. Now this seems to be a trend that we're seeing within the last couple of Marvel films, this one and Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. It almost seems like somebody in some kind of authoritative position is is, is breathing down Marvel's neck saying, whether it's you know Bob Chapek or I, by the way, I don't know that to be true or not, or maybe this is just a, a simple choice that Kevin Feige and Marvel has, Marvel has been going with, but it feels like somebody is, is kind of on their back saying like, we want this film to be less or just at two hours long, not a minute longer than that, for whatever reason. And I feel that this film could have easily had an additional 15 to 20 minutes. Things move fast, like way too fast. Like when the film ended, I was like, it feels like I just got here. Like it, it feels like a blink of an eye. It, like everything was just, and you know, that that's not... That's kind of a strength and a weakness because you you know you don't want a film that's that that overstays its welcome, but I feel like this film definitely did not stay its welcome. It definitely could have stuck around a little bit longer. It, it honestly, like like I said, fifteen to twenty minutes, even twenty five minutes, kind of nearing that two and a half hour mark. I think it would have been fine. And we know for a fact that there were significant characters cut from this film. I believe the actress's name is Lena Headey, uh, who starred in Game of Thrones. I'm personally not very familiar with her, but I know that she has, uh, she's she's um, she's developed a cult following from, of course, Game of Thrones. And from what I've seen, she's a very uh, she's a very talented actress, and she was cut entirely from the film. And apparently, she had a pretty significant role because she was supposed to be paid around. I think the number going around is like seven million, roughly, as an estimate. So clearly, she was in the film a significant amount. And Jeff Goldblum, uh, his character from Sakaar, I think was a planet in Thor Ragnarok. He was supposed to be, uh, as a, I think his name was the Grandmaster in that film. He was supposed to be returning in this film as well, and they cut him out. So there has, there well, there is a significant amount of this film that we did not get to see, which of course is that's that I, that's not like a that's not like a headline, you know. There's we we hear stories from directors all the time that I had a four or five hour cut of my film. So that's not necessarily news, but I feel like this film could have easily used another 15 to 20 minutes. It felt way too short. My next complaint, uh, not enough gore. I, I just mentioned how much I love gore so that this might sound like a bit of a contradiction. So I want to be clear. This is not a criticism that I wanted to see more from his from his character in terms of like their performance because that's not the issue. Christian Bale outacted the fuck out of anybody else that was beside him in whatever scene he was in. He was fantastic. So there's no issues with my with his performance. I just wanted to see more of him. That's all. 
Um, I felt like, like I understood his motivation. Everything was fine, but I like, for example, throughout the film, we're, we're hearing that, you know, this God just got killed or, or, or this God just got killed. And obviously it's because of the God butcher, but we don't see any of that happening. I would have liked to see, you know, a little bit of time dedicated to Gore, just kind of going around, just fucking people up. That would have been entertaining. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like, you know, that would have been, uh, that would have been nice to see. And, and just a little bit more, maybe a little bit more character development, um, I say that, but like I said, I understood, I, I understood his motivation. So I would have liked to see a little bit more gore, uh, gore, the God butcher, but, and then my last negative is the ending of the film. Now this is going to be hard for me to talk about because I really can't. So I'm not going to get into specifics, but likely on my next podcast, or if I get around some other video, I'll talk about the ending in greater detail, but I, I still don't exactly know how I feel about it. The best way I can put it right now is the ending is kind of odd and it has to do with the sort of conclusion to Gore's arc in the film. Um, and I've heard other people talk about this and like I said, I, that's pretty much all I can say about it. I, I can't, I'm not going to get into spoilers because the film has pretty much just come out globally. Uh, so by the time I upload this podcast, there's going to be a lot of people that still haven't had the chance to see the film. So I don't want to spoil it for them, but yeah, um, kind of odd how they, how they, uh, kind of wrapped up his arc in the film and, and yeah, now the post-credit scene was pretty cool. I say the scene, well, I mean, both scenes are actually pretty cool now that I'm thinking about it. See, a lot of things are just coming off the cuff because like I said, the film is very fresh in my mind. Uh, both credits, both post credit scenes are pretty awesome, especially the first one, the middle credit scene, which is usually the one that, you know, teases something significant for the next film. Uh, and they're, I mean, I don't think this is a spoiler or anything like that. Thor doesn't die. Thor will very much return in the MCU. I don't think that's, that, that comes as a shocker to anybody, but yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. Um, not many negatives. Again, I, I count three on my list here and I have six positives. So I, I think the film worked for me and, and I and I really, really liked it. I thought the humor was hilarious uh, and it didn't feel like a satire to me. There was, there was many jokes, but there was also many moments where the film was very grounded in terms of its emotion. And, you know, I even heard people around me choking up. So, I mean, you know, the, the film has a wide range of emotions that it plays into. And for me, it worked and I had no issue with it. Let me know what you guys think. Have you had the chance to see Thor Love and Thunder? Let me know how you feel down in the comments below. Well, actually, before we move on to the next headliner, I, th I think it's I probably should address this. I, I don't even know if I entirely want to, but I mean, the, the biggest question around Thor Love and Thunder that everybody's asking, I mean, and it's inherently, you're going to have people that are going to wonder this. Hey, you know, I get it is, is this film better than Thor Ragnarok? Because we're pretty much seeing Taika, Taika Waititi, the director, get his own trilogy of Thor films. Of course, starting with the third Thor film, um, Ragnarok, this was, this is of course now the second in his trilogy. So he's probably going to get one more film. And is this better than the first film? And I, I, I can't really say yes or no right now. I think I'm going to need to see the film one more time. Like off the top of my head, like I, you know, I can, I can, I can identify areas of the film 
that I appreciated in Ragnarok more than I appreciated in Love and Thunder. And on the flip side, I can also pick out elements of this film, Love and Thunder, that I much more appreciated in that kind of worked for me more than they would have in Ragnarok. So I'm going to need to, to rewatch the film and also have a couple days to kind of think about it a little bit more. But I'm going to give a top 10 current top 10 list of the MCU right now, sort of updated to let you know if this film is even on this list. Now let's go through it. Uh, number one, Avengers Endgame. Number two, Avengers Infinity War. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number four, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number five, Captain America Civil War. Number six, Iron Man. Number seven, Avengers. Number uh, eight for Ragnarok, number nine, Black Panther, number 10, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, so of course, as I just read, and now that you know, Thor, Love and Thunder is not on my top 10. Now, this might sound like a contradiction because I said I don't know if the film is better, yet I have Ragnarok on my top 10 list. It's been on my top 10 list since I saw the film back in whenever it came out, 2017, I think. It's when Ragnarok came out. Um, and if Thor Love and Thunder is going to dethrone any film off that list, it will be, uh, it will be Ragnarok. So, but right now I can't say for sure. I'm going to need to kind of think about it a little bit more, but real quick, the last film on my list, cause I know some people are probably going to be up in arms about this because I've talked to so many people that have Captain America, the winter soldier as their number one favorite film of all time. And you know what? That is perfectly fine. It's, it's number 10 for me, and to be quite honest, if I had to pick one film that I think is probably the most overrated MCU film of all time, I would probably say The Winter Soldier. I like The Winter Soldier, I like the sort of spy espionage, uh, you know, sort of plot to it and narrative, but I think it's incredibly overrated. I, like, I, I don't understand, well, okay, I can't say I don't understand how people... Cause, think it's the greatest because I won't be able to understand that because this you know film is subjective obviously so you know I can't really say that but yeah I I personally for me I can't see how it's better than Endgame uh Infinity War Guardians of the Galaxy like those films for me are just you know one and one I I can't yeah um Endgame is going to be on that number one spot for a long time but uh, anyways let's move on to the next headliner so every day at some point, I usually like to try and get in some acting training, uh, kind of work on the craft. And part of that training is, I believe, watching talented actors, naturally. Uh, I think that goes across any occupation or profession. You're going to watch you're going to watch the people that do it best and you're going to try to see if you can kind of pull apart things, observe their uh, you know behavior, their sort of what works for them, not copy them, but sort of like try and learn from them. And that's pretty much what I'm, my approach is. So I made a list and I'll, I'll actually, you know, I'll read the list here to you guys. Uh, I made a, a list of movies to watch. Now, a lot of these movies are, are films that I wouldn't normally watch, but I'm trying to watch these films. Uh, many of these films I'm going to list are critically acclaimed, have great performers and try and kind of learn something from them. And I'm going to talk about one of them in particular that I watched that I was just blown away by and one of the joys when you're watching a movie is is when it's almost like if you watch a movie you've never really heard of you go in kind of 
you go in with a blindfold and you kind of take it off and boom, you just watch the film. It, it very much feels like, how, how can I put this? It, it's almost like when you are hanging out with a bunch of friends and you guys do something really fun and it was not planned. It was all just spontaneous. Those are the kind of like movies that stick with you. It, those Just like those are the experiences that you have with people that you remember, right? Just like fun, spontaneous, like you wake up like, let's go for a drive here. Let's go to this place, right? Not planned at all. That's kind of like what happened with this film. I looked on the list. I was like, what film am I going to watch tonight? Fuck it. Let's boom. Let's choose this one. And I watched it, knew nothing about it. And I loved it. And that's, that's kind of what happened. Um, but you know, I'll read the list before. So here's the list and you know what? Give me suggestions down in the comics. If there's some other fellow aspiring actors and actresses watching this, if you have films that you've watched that you've kind of studied, uh, let me know. And I, I'd love to watch them if I haven't seen them already, but here's my list. So there will be blood silence, hacksaw Ridge, raging bull, her 2001, a space odyssey rain man. And like I said, these are films that I haven't seen yet. Uh, rain man. I think I just said that. The Prestige, Hostel, uh, 310 to Yuma, Ford vs. Ferrari, Inherent Vice, Revolutionary Road, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, The Last Duel, The Good Shepherd, The Informant, Phantom Thread, The Boxer, My Left Foot, Lincoln, Lady Bird, Call Me By Your Name, The Godfather Part 2 and 3. Uh, I can't even pronounce this next one here. Cosmopolis. I think I think I got it. That's uh, the one, the film with Robert Pattinson, directed by uh, David Cronenberg. Uh, Waiting for the Barbarians, The Report, Hook, uh, The Post, The Terminal, Cape Fear, Mean Streets, Gangs of New York, After Hours, Swiss Army Man, Little Miss Sunshine, Memento, Following, and Insomnia. Nice little triple header there for Christopher Nolan. So the film. So I've seen two films on this list here recently. Uh, after hours and the boxer which i watched yesterday and i started the godfather part two but the thing is if you're gonna watch the godfather and more specifically the godfather part two that is a three hour and 22 minute film you better reserve some time to watch that and the thing is for me i reserved enough time to watch it but i watched the film so late and for me i usually tap out around 2 a.m and I started watching The Godfather Part 2, I'd say, I was watching it a couple days ago, I started watching it around midnight, so I got two hours in, and then I just tapped out, and I was like, there's an hour and a half left, I'll get around and watching it some other day, and I was rather enjoying it, uh, you know, through the through the two acts, I guess, that I've seen thus far, I don't think it's better than The Godfather Part 1, but then again, I've seen an, an incomplete story, so I and I can't really judge it at, the, at that part quite yet until I see the film in its entirety, but... The film I want to talk about in particular is called After Hours. Uh, I knew nothing about this film. I guess that's kind of a lie. I knew, I knew the bare minimum. I knew that it literally was a story that took place in the after hours of the night. That's all I knew. I knew it was directed by Martin Scorsese. It looked like a pretty low-budget kind of smaller film. A film he might have done earlier in his career. Because I think it's a film from either the, the 80s or the 70s or even the 90s. I could be wrong. But I think it was a film... That came out in the 80s. I think it came out after Taxi Driver. Uh, but I, I could be wrong. I could, have, I could have my dates mixed up. And the sort of surface level plot. It, it, this movie is about a guy in his chaotic crazy night. Nothing is going right for this individual. It starts off with him going on this date. Uh, and 
it all like like I said, everything happens over the course of one night. He meets this girl and she comes across normal and charming, and clearly she, she you know, she she she's she's uh, she's attractive to him, and she's gained his attention, and he wants to meet her. And he meets this girl at a cafe, and he gets her number at the cafe, and then she leaves the cafe, and then he calls her later that night, and he says, "Hey, do you want to hang out?" And he goes to her apartment, he goes to her place, and he starts to see like there's sort of something wrong here, and then. Like I'm gonna, I'm speaking very vague because I don't want to spoil the film. I know it's like 30 years old, but you know, I, I, I would love for you guys to check it out and then let me know what you think because I think going into a mo- movie like this, knowing nothing, will do you so much better after you watch it because if you go into this film kind of knowing like every single detail, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hit the same. So I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but basically he goes on this date with this girl. It goes terribly wrong. He pulls himself out of the equation. He's like that, that just was not working. Uh, but then one thing after another, like his night progressively gets worse and worse and he's coming across, he's meeting, you know, these different people, these different characters, and each one of them is 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 kind of uh, interesting, let's just say, and unique. And uh, yeah, nothing is going right. And it's, it's funny. It's also uh, very much like Twilight Zone-esque, like it just, it almost feels like something out of a dream, out of a nightmare. Um... It, it, it was just, it was awesome. And it's one of my favorite Scorsese films that I've seen. Now, granted, this is coming from an individual that has not seen Raging Bull. I haven't seen Mean Streets. The Scorsese, I haven't seen Silence, which is which is on my list. I do hope to get around to see that film at some point. Um, the films, the Martin Scorsese films that I have seen are Wolf of Wall Street, which I think is probably my favorite uh, Scorsese film. Uh, the Irishman. Um which I, I'll be honest, I didn't really like The Irishman. I, I, I think the film, first of all, was way too long. Uh, I got bored around the third act, to be quite frank with you. I understood the story you know, with Jimmy Hoffa and all that. Um, I wasn't a particular fan of that film. Did think it was terrible, but not my favorite Scorsese film. Um, so I've seen The Irishman. I've seen The Wolf of Wall Street. I've seen Taxi Driver. Uh, well, what other films have I seen? I've seen Goodfellas, of course. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay, I would say... His best film for me is a tie between Wolf of Wall Street and uh, Goodfellas. Although I think I might lean towards Wolf of Wall Street. But besides the point. Um, but this film, wow, I loved it. It was, it, it's it's a it's a pretty linear, well actually, it's not a linear story because you can't guess what's going to happen next to this guy. And by the end of the film, I, I, I don't want to spoil it, but it's, Please, if you have the time, it's a pretty easy watch. I think it's only like an hour and a half long. Go watch After Hours. What a great film. And like I said, go into it like knowing nothing. You will enjoy it that much more because of it. If you have seen the film, let me know in the comments below. Um, Do you think it's one of Scorsese's best films? Like I said, once I see Raging Bull, Silence, Mean Streets, which are all on my list, then maybe my mind will change. Um... But I thought the film was fantastic. So the last headliner I want to discuss today to kind of wrap up today's podcast is we finally have seen the first uh, trailer for one of my most anticipated films of the year, Amsterdam, uh, David O. Russell's next film. For those of you who aren't familiar with David O. Russell's work, he directed The Fighter, which I think is probably my favorite film of his. Uh, Up next, he directed Silver Linings Playbook, which is a close second. I very much enjoy that film. 
and then American Hustle, and he's done a couple other films. But those are the three films that I've seen of his. Uh, American Hustle, I enjoy, but it's probably my least favorite out of the three. And uh, I think Silver Linings Playbook and um, The Fighter are, are, are pretty close. But I think Christian Bale's performance as... Uh, as Mark Wahlberg's brother, I his name is Dickie in the movie. I, it's it's based off a true story. Uh, what a magnificent performance! That was the film that I watched re recently again. Uh, once again, kind of analyzing, studying him. Uh, what a amazing performer Christian Bale is. But you know, we 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 often see with these directors in Hollywood, they'll bring back certain actors that they've worked with in other in other films and because it's just it's like a match made in heaven and we're seeing that again with david o russell christian bale of course is returning but we're also seeing a lot of new faces that haven't worked with david o russell before of course we're seeing john david washington who's one of my favorite actors right now i think he was incredible in tenet i don't think enough people give him credit for his performance in tenet um yeah i know robert pattinson was fantastic as well but i think i think John David Washington really kind of sold that character because at the end of the day, he didn't even have a name. He was just the protagonist, but I think he had such a, such a suave-ness to him, very James Bond-esque to that character in Tenet, but not to get sidetracked. Um, so it's, let me just go through this cast. Now I'm going to be going through it off the top of my head because right now where I am in Canada, the network is down. Uh, Rogers Network is down, so I couldn't like I, I tried my best to kind of do the research and, and find you know all the cast members and whatnot. But I'll try my best to kind of remember it. if I forget a couple people, forgive me. Just kind of uh, remind me down in the comments below. But from what I remember in the trailer, it was uh, Christian Bale, John Nathan Washington, Margot Robbie, um, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Taylor Swift was in this as well. Chris Rock. Robert De Niro, um, so a, a stack cast, and you know, I, I hopefully I didn't forget anybody else. And it seems like the plot of this film, uh, some kind of um, almost like an espionage film, and it takes place during I think either during or after World War II. And it's I, I Christian Bale described it as we, you know, it was me, John David Washington, you know, basically two guys in the army. And they become friends with this nurse who also worked in the army. And they all made a pact to like help each other out or something. I, I, I couldn't entirely understand the plot of what was happening in that first trailer. But just the talent alone excites me. Now that doesn't always mean that the film is going to be good. We've seen you know, large ensemble cast films with Academy Award winning actors and actresses. That didn't end up turning out to be the best film. So that is entirely possible. But I'm optimistic. And also given the director, he's, he's a track record of producing or of directing rather very high quality films oscar nominated and i think oscar winning films if i'm not mistaken so i think the potential is there this looks very promising and you know i talked about it on a couple episodes ago this is one of my most anticipated films in this latter half of 2022 so let me know what you guys think are you excited for amsterdam and if i did miss any cast members let me know down in the comments below that's gonna wrap up uh, episode 33 of Unbashful. If you stuck around for this long, I want to thank you for listening and watching if you are. Uh, just a reminder, if you don't have time to watch me here on YouTube, ramble on, but you still want to listen, good news, you can on any audio streaming platform of your choice. I'm talking Spotify, you know, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. I think Amazon has a platform as well, Google Podcasts. So, 
you can find it anywhere. You just type in unbashful or you could just type in my name, Nicholas Doucette, but it's probably easier if you type in unbashful and you'll see me there. You can like, subscribe, follow, keep up with the, with the podcast. I upload here usually around, uh, you know, once a week. Um, and yeah, you know, thank you guys for watching. I wish you all good health, happiness, and everything in between. Have a great night or day. <laughs>